Jays have a lot of things around the edges, but if you don't color in the middle, you really don't have a finished picture. invest an extra $25 million if you're even the Blue Jays to do that. And then they make a Jeterville patch at shortstop to designate his range and it's four feet by four feet. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 85. We promise you won't get poisoned no matter how much of our pod you consume. I'm joined tonight by Josh Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm good. And yeah. the uh, incontrovertible, unstoppable Nick Dyka is back with us. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Greg, I'm good. I probably should have given you a bigger build up there, Josh, but I, I kind of forgot Nick was with us for a second. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm here all the time, so... <laughs> Well, and I you're... lied. I'm not that good. I'm sick. So if I sound funny, that's why. It's not weird mic stuff this time. For once, it's not technical problems. But if it turns into technical problems, plus you being sick, we'll see if that makes sound it like to Darth the, Vader. the final edit. <laughs> uh, we have a podcast for you because we have actual Blue Jays moves. We have Yangervis Solarte. Uh, we have Curtis Granderson. We have uh, some other things to talk about. Uh, Jeff Passan talked about... Is there collusion in an article on Yahoo Sports today? His general conclusion was, no, that's not the problem, but that doesn't mean that there's not a big problem with what's happening with the offseason and free agents in baseball right now. We have some of your questions. Uh, we have a couple of do-overs for uh, one for the member of the media and one for someone who we like to pick on probably the most since Greg Zahn got fired. Uh, and then we even we even have a gold star to hand out this week. So we're going we're gonna to run the table. All of my audio clips, which will play flawlessly, of course. So naturally, yeah. So <laughs> we'll <laughs> we'll get started, Nick. Uh, because Josh is feeling a little under the weather, we'll let you talk about how you felt. Uh, number one, when the Blue Jays ac actually made a move, and number two, when it was younger for Sorlate. Yeah, um, I was pretty pretty happy to see the the Jays bring Solarte in because I think. Uh, given they were looking for a super utility type player. I actually, I like him a little bit better than Eduardo Nunez and Josh Harrison. And it seems like uh, what they have to give up to get him. Well, I it's Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. It was uh, Oliveras. Yes, it was. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely has, you know, he, he definitely has some potential. I know some people kind of like his, like his raw tools, but uh, Solarte is going to be with the Jays for, I think they have three years of control. So mm -hmm. it, is it three? Yep. Yep. Three years. Okay. And um, yeah, I think so all in all, he's, he's going to like, he's going to be able to hit a little bit. He's going to be able to play, you know, kind of on all four corners of the diamond and all in all, I think it's a, a pretty solid move, especially given, you know, the injury histories of, guys like Tulo and, and Devin Travis and the badness histories of guys like Ezekiel Carrera. Yeah, and I think it's also important to mention that he's a switch hitter and someone who has habitually done better 
against right-handed pitching, which was a big problem for the Blue Jays last year and one of the stated goals. Well, maybe it wasn't actually the, they didn't say this year, but it's been talked about in the past is getting a little more balance in the lineup. And he does that. As Nick mentioned, he can play all over the field, which is a big help. But having the guy who can play all over the field and hit from both sides really makes it easy to deploy him whenever you need to. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, you look at him and Aldemus Diaz and uh, and the next guy we're going to talk about, and it's about raising the floor and getting some more versatility, which, again, I felt the Jays last year, we've talked about it endlessly, but, I mean, when the first thing you have to do is turn to Darwin Barney and Ryan Goins when anybody goes down and then bring Chris Coughlin in, man, it's a problem. <laughs> so we're going to talk ever going to say his name right, by the way. Who? Aledmus Diaz. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> just... It's Jan Hervis Solarte. Um, and so I'm gonna try and pronounce Curtis Granderson because I've always <laughs> it's liked actually Curtis Granderson. Yeah. <laughs> we actually that's not it's not the guy we thought. I I'm wrong. He's he's a <laughs> Venezuelan free agent, Curtis. <laughs> Yeah, he's actually a second baseman. Oh, crap. This, the next bit I'm going to say is just right off base. Uh, so, <laughs> so Curtis <laughs> is a Blue Jay, which I, I never thought I would say that. Uh, he's certainly not young. He's 37 years old, Josh. But I, I don't think comparisons to Jose Bautista are fair because that's the thing I'm seeing most often from the, uh, how should I put it, the more casual, passionate Blue Jays fan on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there's no real comp at all. I mean... Yeah, the age is really the only thing that they have in common. Granderson, you know, he's still pretty good. You know, whereas Bautista was terrible last year. He's, you know, he's a left-handed power bat who takes walks and plays the outfield. I mean, that's kind of useful to this roster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he's a guy who uh, I think he OPS like eight fifty something over the last couple of years. Nothing wrong mm -hmm. with that. Uh, I saw an interesting comp. Because the Blue Jays did not get Andrew McCutcheon. Andrew McCutcheon moved from the Pirates, and we'll talk about that, uh, I think, during we talk about the Is This Collusion article, over to the Giants. Um, someone said, oh, okay, 2015 to 2017, uh, who was worth more wins above replacement? And it was like 4.1 and 4.2, I think, between Granderson and Kutch. And then they went, well, that seems like arbitrary endpoints. How about 2014 to 2017? And it was like four and a half, or five and a half wins to 5.6. So... Strange as it seems, uh, because of all the problems McCutcheon had with the slump and possibly other factors, in in the long run, their value to the team is kind of similar. And that's even considering that Kutch is getting some of his value from that center field defense that Granderson can't play anymore. Well, part of the problem is that neither can McCutcheon. He's just there. <laughs> yeah. The Giants, I think, have already said they're, uh, they're planning on playing him in right field. Mm-hmm. Which, Which is, makes no sense given their park, but whatever. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> like, he, did, did he cover any less? Does he going to cover any less ground in right? No, not there. <laughs> um, so you're getting a player who is worth wins in Curtis Granderson, um, and also Nick dovetails nicely with. Say his name. No. What's that? He dovetails nicely with what player the Blue Jays already have. Oh. Uh, Ezekiel Carrera. What? No, Steve Pierce. That was a cruel setup. You had no idea what he was talking about. There. <laughs> oh, I don't mean oh, to be mean. Oh, in terms of a as a platoon partner. Oh, yes. 
I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So I was thinking about who he's going to replace. Oh, um, okay. Cause I personally have kind of big fears that Carrera is going to regress this year. And if you look at a bunch of the projection systems, they're projecting them to be basically replacement level, which, uh, like you guys said, you want to raise the floor on that if you can. And- yeah, and I think we should talk about some of the limitations in Gramson's game too, though. I mean, he is 37. He can't throw anymore. And there is risk. I mean, he struggled mightily in his you know post-deadline acquisition with the Dodgers. Didn't have full playing time. But he was quite bad. And there's a chance that he's, you know, he's going to be 37. There's a chance his skills are eroding. So, while it's a good, useful signing, and it's good that it's not very much money, it still carries a lot of risk. Right. In in an ideal world, it's the sec- early first of two outfield moves the, the Jays are making this offseason. I... I liken it to the Jays are doing that thing where when you're a kid uh, and you want to make a really nice picture, you color all the way around the edges with the crayon so that you don't go outside the lines when you go to color in the middle part. <laughs> so the Jays have a That's lot of... That's actually a really good analogy. <laughs> the Jays have a lot of things around the edges, but if you don't color in the middle, you really don't have a finished picture. And the Jays are, yeah, clearly not with a finished picture because right now the outfield does contain a lot of people but realistically, do, can any of them play right field on a daily basis? Uh, well, I mean, Teoscar Hernandez in theory, but right now he's, you know, there's no room for him on the roster. But, you know, I, I think you really hit the nail on the co- nail in the coffin, nail in the head. <laughs> how, how bad <laughs> are you feeling, Josh? There, how but, sick uh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, all these moves are really, really good if they're the setup for something bigger. Because this team, the outfield was by war, Fangraph's war, the second worst in baseball. And by wins, uh, WRC, it's third worst. And so far, the only bat they've added is Granderson in that spot. And obviously, as we mentioned, there's upside there, but risk. You know, he, he'll hit very well against righties, can't hit lefties. So they need to get someone who's actually an impact player, which goes all the way back to those comments Atkins made way back at the end of the season press conference. But if you look at the free agent market, there aren't actually a lot of people who are guaranteed to be impact players out there. Nick? Well, I think I'm obviously the, the biggest one is Lorenzo Kane, but I personally would feel almost as comfortable if they signed one of uh, one of the cargos. I know, Josh, we've talked about this before offline, and you're not as enthralled with that idea. But like, nope. okay, I'm going to give you... For the, since 2015, Lorenzo Cain's triple slash is 299, 356, 445. Carlos Gonzalez is 278, 338, 493. And, yeah, one uh, of those guys played in Coors, the other guy played in Kaufman. Yeah, that that's true, <laughs> but I don't, you know, I think there have been enough elite hitters that have left Coors Field and, you know, demonstrated success. Don't bring up too low, please, and thank you. Um, that that I, I have faith in and Gonzalez to to repeat at least enough to to take a flyer on him as opposed to signing Lorenzo Cain for you know five years and 90 million dollars well I don't think there's any evidence going to cost anything close to that um, which we'll get to in our in our next little segment here but Carlos Gonzalez the thing is he was bad last year he was almost as bad as Jose Bautista 
and now that's that's no, just cool. Until, that's like <laughs> only through only through August. He had a he had a big September. So. Yeah, so he he did well against the AAA pitchers, but <laughs> at course. But the thing is, like, if this team's next move is an impact kind of player, it's got to be someone who has less risk. And Carlos Gonzalez carries a ton of it right now. I like him as a player. I would have liked him in the Curtis Granderson role. But with two guys like that, there's a good chance you're still getting terrible production. I just I like the risk though for where the Jays are on the the win curve because the thing with signing a guy like Lorenzo Cain is it does tie up money for let's say you know maybe it's not as much as as I was speculating but he's not going to sign for less than what four years and and if you're tying up somewhere between you know thirteen and twenty million dollars a year for four years that is money that they could use to pay Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman and Devin Travis. Roberto Osuna. These guys are all going to start to cost more money. Okay, and that's fair. But if, I mean, if you're doing all these moves that they've made this year about trying to win this year, there's no sense going in with just half measures. It doesn't make sense to go. It's like, oh, now we have a middling shot at the second wild card. May as well have just traded everybody. If you're going to go in, go in. Fair, fair enough. Do you, but do you think realistically that's that's what Atkins and Shapiro are thinking? Wow, that's what really we re- think that they should do. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, we're coming at this that. from the way, I mean, Josh and I have pretty much agreed. It's it's do it or don't do it. Don't kind of, you know, try and try and ride half a horse here. And I, I think you need a guy who is, is going to give you at least a couple of wins if he plays a full season, not might give you a couple of wins if he plays a full mm-hmm. season. Right. And here's I, the thing with Lorenzo Cain. You're talking about he might cost money. There's no evidence he's going to cost $20 million a year right now, but he's a really, really good player. And people say, oh, his skills are tied up in speed and he's older. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. If he declines in speed a little bit, he'll still be very, very fast. And so that's not really that much of a risk, and he's a good hitter. So I don't know that there's some as much of a problem having money tied up in a good player as opposed to where the Jays are right now where Troy Tulowitzki and Russell Martin are shells of themselves. Right. I, I don't I don't think it's as much of an issue as, you know, tying the money up in Kane as as it is there's going to be again, there's going to be so many other players that are going to cost that much money or cost significant amounts of money that it might be, you know, burdensome to the payroll again two years down the line. Um and I totally agree with you. I don't think he's he's kind of going to like lose all his value. There was an interesting article by Mike Petriello where he talked about, you know, uh, Kane as a comp to like guys like actually Curtis Granderson and Torrey Hunter who who were good into their late thirties. Um, I just think because he doesn't put you over the top, it might be worth it this year too. I know you guys disagree with the half kind of going half in, but vehemently. <laughs> yeah, I guess my thinking is the reason they're going half in though is because they're not getting to blow the team up. They're not going to see that great value either. Like if the Jays could have got, you know, some impact prospects for Josh Donaldson, they would have done that already. But I don't think that's I, true. You don't think they would have traded no. Donaldson if they could have got like a Gliber Torres or something like the Yankees got for Chapman? I don't well, think so. Okay, maybe if you're talking about like the elite of the elite prospects, but nobody was going to offer that. But you know, the, the problem with this half measure is that it hurts you in the short term 
and it hurts you in the long term because you're decreasing the trade value of every asset you have by keeping them into the season, except Marco Estrada, because he needs to rebuild value. All right. I don't think we're going to solve that one here. (laughs) I'd like to point out that I think we just spent more time on two players we don't have and one we're never going to have than we did on the two we just acquired. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that says a lot about the impact of those moves, doesn't it? (laughs) But I do think it's good to go to what Nick said before, though, about how those guys raise the floor, which is important. Absolutely. Um, We need, you know, you need to not have a team that's going to bottom out because one guy gets hurt long term. And that's really, that's what last year was. Uh, It was more than one guy getting hurt, but it certainly, there was no backup. There was no plan B. So it looks like plan B is in place and we'll find out what plan A is, hopefully before the beginning of spring training, because we're going to talk about... Uh, Jeff Passan and uh, Yahoo.com is where you can read this article. But basically, uh, there's been a lot of talk about collusion. Are the owners, uh, do they have some sort of agreement in place that says, oh, we're not going to pay any of these free agents anything? And as he went around the league, Jeff found that maybe the nature of some of the changes of the collective bargaining agreement are what got us here. And some of the changes in baseball where teams don't have to win to make money and all of a sudden winning right now is not as profitable as maybe saying you're going to win in a couple of years and he listed 10 teams this was the part that blew me away that really aren't planning on competing this year out of the 30 and that right there i think is at the heart of baseball's problem what do you think nick um yeah i don't really see the big problem with it. I think, you know, the game's always going to be changing and baseball's not going to look the way it did five years ago, five years from now. And I don't, yeah, I guess I don't see the, the inherent problem with uh, front offices getting smarter and and tanking. uh, If, if they think that's ultimately going to put their franchise in the best position to win long-term. Um, but wait, yeah, the, see, the, I would argue, though, that that's not why franchises in baseball tank. Franchises in baseball don't play well because good players are expensive and they make the same amount of money from their TV contract and they can still put butts in the seats, even if they're kind of mediocre all the time. Remember, the Pirates won 98 games with this team and now they consider their window closed like two years later. Um, right. But th- there's no long-term plan for the Pirates to get... Th- this is not an Astros rebuild. That, that was... Right. Like, I can believe in that. But the-, the-, the draft is just so up in the air, and the international signing rules are now so restrictive that you can't really leverage that. And none of these teams are talking about leveraging that. They're just kind of treading water, which is brutal for the game. For sure. I, I definitely agree with that. But I-, I do think the Pirates did recognize that, like, given their place within the National League right now, the, the team they had with you know guys like McCutcheon aging it is going to be tough for them to compete now it might be their you know it might be their only shot uh, to to try to rebuild um so i wouldn't necessarily uh be so sure that they're just trying to kind of like keep their franchise in the middle cuz it makes them the same amount of money either way uh given given the landscape of the other kind of like powerhouse teams in the NL but what well i mean i think it's good that you mentioned the powerhouse teams in general because not only do you have those teams at the bottom that aren't doing anything, you have these teams at the top, Houston, L.A., New York, Boston, Chicago, Washington. They're already so good. 
that they don't need to go out and sign a Lorenzo Cain or a Hugh right. Darvish or whatever at the money they want because it's not putting them over the top. And that's where you get this situation where players aren't getting offers that are what they think are their worth. I mean, if one GM or assistant GM said, and this is where I'm coming back to Lorenzo Cain, that he, you know, he doesn't want to sign him for three years or whatever. He signed for one year, $24 million, but to them, it's not putting them over the top. Right. And I think if it was just one team that was sort of treading water, but, but you look at the playoff structure in baseball, and if, again, compared to other sports, which is all we really have to compare it to, making the playoffs in, in the NFL is a huge boon to your revenue because every game brings thousands of people into your stadium that you wouldn't have had previously, right? Whereas in in baseball, um, at the moment anyway, they don't seem overly concerned with what's going to happen to the fan base if you tell them we're not very good. If it was just the Pirates, great. But again, he listed 10 teams from the Braves to the White Sox that even though there's two wild cards in each league, these teams are not, they don't think a couple of acquisitions will put them into wild card territory enough to that money that they would spend to put them there would make any difference. And that is a big problem if you're in the players union. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but I think from the other perspective, like we literally just discussed in kind of like the previous segment, it does make sense from the team's perspective that you either want to be, be good enough that you can really go all in. Cause like, you know, if you, if you're in the American league and you've got a puncher's chance at the second wild card, do you really want to, invest an extra $25 million if you're even the Blue Jays to do that when you know even if you win that second wild card, then you're running through the gauntlet of New York, Boston, Cleveland, Houston, and then whoever emerges from the National League's kind of upper echelon of teams too. Like I can see why that's as a fan or as a a general manager. I think both. I mean, okay, so, and this is not something Greg and I've talked about as well in the past, but it's not about building your team so that you can maybe get a wild card. It's about building your team so that you're good enough that even with some decline, you're probably in a wild card position. Because once you get in, any team can win. Even as good as those teams at the top are, any team can win in a short series. Right. But yeah. And the problem is right now, it it doesn't look... And again, we're not at spring training yet. Maybe someone will crack and, and drop $30 million on, a, on what is currently a mediocre team, uh, and uh, you know, for, for three or four years. But it, it looks like a bunch of GMs are thinking exactly like you are. And, and it's a problem for the overall competitiveness of the league. And it's a problem for those guys who are sitting out there being free agents. And, and I'm never going to be on, on the ownership side. Um, so long as they're asking for public money for stadiums and crying poor and all this other stuff, uh, I'm always on the player side because those guys deserve as much money as they can possibly get. And right now, it's it's tough for a guy to, to sign for like three sixty or you know four seventy five. Like two three years ago, this was a, a free agent market that you could see one two hundred million dollar contract per off season. Right. And to be clear, though, I'm not on I'm not on the owner's side. I think teams are being run the way they are because the the baseball ops people have 
have kind of been put in a situation where this is the best and optimal way to run the teams. I think, yeah, if there's a way that we can, uh, you know, reorganize the CBA or anything else that needs to get organized, I'm all down for uh, doing that so players can get, you know, their fair share of the, of the revenue. But I, given kind of the box they've been put in, I, I do get why teams are operating this way. It's interesting you mentioned getting their share of the revenue. This came up in this article dimension of a salary cap which was like this was the ultimate taboo when it came to discussions this is what killed the 1994 world series this idea of a salary cap but it, you could argue that it makes sense from a player perspective because with a salary cap comes a salary floor right. and then you it forces teams like the marlins and the a's and the rays and whoever to spend at a level which means there is no well, if we're going to lose 75 or, or lose 85, we may, we may as well lose 95 or 100 because you have to fill out your roster with players. Mm-hmm. And then, well, you become a lot like every other sport. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, the fear there is you'll end up with super teams because players will be maxed at what they can make, so they just go to the team that has the best players. Not that basketball right. ever did that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think fundamentally what you need to change about about the sport is when free agency, if, if the teams truly are smarter, and this was brought up in the article, and they don't want to pay for declining years of players. That's what it, I mean, really, you get you get that's the it. rising years for free, you get the declining years uh, you pay extra for. Um, if they're refusing to do that anymore, and they're just going to call up younger players sooner and try and play them out, well, then the younger players need to cost you money. It's not, it's not six years of uh, essentially structured pay anymore. Um, if I were going into that that next contract negotiation, and this had persisted, I would be talking about um, a three year, um, three years to free agency, and 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 then it's a free for all because that's the only time when value matches performance. And this is where this was actually where the super team concept came up. Uh, there, I can't see any way that ownership in of small market teams would agree to that because anytime they had a good player say it takes him a year to you know, have adjustment in the league and a couple of years, and then he's gone to the rich teams and you get these teams with three or four or five $50 million players in their mid-20s. How do you compete with that? So I can't see any way that something like that actually happens. Well, I have a question. Why don't they implement something like where you can sign these players, you know, say Vlad Guerrero Jr. Uh, comes up next year, the Jays can basically structure a deal where they can buy out his rookie contract years and they'll pay him $6 million for the first five years of his major league career. And in doing that, he's obviously, he's taking more upfront on, on his rookie contract years, but he's probably taking a little bit of hit on his uh, arbitration years. I, I feel like if they moved the CBA to allow them to basically not have allowed. to. Yeah, they are. They, Oh, they can do that right now. Why don't more teams do that then? That would because that seems it's not like a in their best great... interest to do it usually, or either party really. If if you're a star prospect, you know, you figure out your first year of arbitration, you're probably going to get five or six million. But if you if you were to like Evan Longoria did this, right? Yep. Yeah, and so Jonathan Singleton, who's never even in the big leagues, a bunch of guys do this. Yeah, but I had assumed did... that they stopped because the CBA had kind of outlawed it, like in hockey. Nope. No, no, there's no issue with, with being allowed to do this. It's just that there has to be a willingness on both both parties. And what people are seeing is that there's not as much of an incentive for the player to do it because arbitration salaries are also going 
reasonably high. So they have to get a real right. big payout in order to give something up. And that's a real big risk for the team because, I mean, look at Brandon Morrow. Would would Brandon Morrow have taken a, a buyout your arbitration years contract? Probably. Yeah, good. <laughs> and, and good point. Total chaos before that ever came to pass. <laughs> well, I mean, the Jays did it with Ricky Romero, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. And, you know, it works sometimes. And like I said, Jonathan Singleton was signed to a six-year deal before he played in the big leagues. That's right, yeah. And he's never turned into anything, so there's risk. And, you know, if the money gets to a certain level, it just doesn't make sense for the team. And before that, it doesn't make sense for the player. So it's very hard to find that balance. But they are allowed to do it. Right. I just saw it as a way of getting getting around these problems as, you know, as players get you know, Josh Donaldson was traded because the A's couldn't afford him. And I, I, I was just thinking if, if teams could get a little more creative in terms of like taking these risks, there might be there might be the ability of like some of the smaller market teams to to keep their course together longer than at least they can in theory now. Yeah, they're trying. <laughs> yeah. And whatever happens, I'm sure the law of unintended consequences will continue to apply. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna get silly, probably because in the middle of the off season, your questions tend to be uh, silly, and uh, we'll come back with the rest. All right, we are back. Hope you enjoyed the little break, and uh, since we've had a little break, that means we are ready to play uh, a little game where we answer your questions. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Ah, yes. We can count on you people to give us all kinds of things. Uh, so, we'll start off with Phil Golubovich at Philly G. Hypothetically, you're trading Kendris what would be the maximum pot sweetening ask that a team could demand in return for them taking Kendris before you say no? Uh, Josh, I'm sorry, what is he saying here? How much money? Basically, he's saying, how much money would you be willing to eat to trade Kendris? And Kendris what's, is, what's the yeah? What's the most you'd be willing to eat? He's he's uh, was he three thirty when he signed originally? He's got two years and twenty four million left, I believe. Two twenty four. Um. What what do you think? How much would you uh, eat to get rid of the only DHing Kendris Morales? Well, for me, the, the it's not going to be a very useful answer necessarily, but it all comes down to it's got to be at a level where you can do something useful to improve the roster with the saved money. So if he so say he's making twelve million this year, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, he's making eleven million this year. It's twenty one million left, but. You know, if if he's making eleven million this year and you can save six of it and you can use that to get another good player, it's worth it. But I think it that's the only level that it works to me because he's still likely to be a decent hitter. Last year was an odd down year for him. Well, considering he moved to a better park, yeah. Um do you have a do you have a number in mind, Nick? Um I think it kind of depends on what you're gonna get back, if anything. Uh but I'm I'm not to answer directly, but just to, I'm not too high on him for this year. Uh, I think if if you look at kind of like his his exit velocity numbers and and you can kind of get excited about them, I just think he's been hitting the ball so hard for so long and it hasn't really produced that many great results. I, I think it's just like ultimately 
he's too ground ball dependent to to be much more than he was this year. Um, That's interesting because he's been a considerable at least ten or more percent above league average almost every year of his career, except for the year he started in the middle of the season and last year. Right, and but I think more people are hitting home runs now too, and 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 it's not that I even think he's changed that much as a player. I think it's just the like the league is like kind of catching up to him. Um, you know, like um, like Francisco Lindor, like a great defensive shortstop, had 30 home runs this year. And I know he's obviously a star, but I think that's kind of like an an example of of what I mean when I say like you know, kind of Kendry's has stayed the same, but the league has gotten gotten better yeah. around him. No, not to go too deep on this topic, but <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Go- I'm not going to. But a lot of this was discussed as being an issue with the baseball, and there's a very real chance that that could all go away this year. We don't actually know. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I'm going to answer the question by saying half. I would not eat any more than half of his salary. <laughs> Hit me with a question, Josh. Okay. This comes from Quinn at Bobachet. Bobachet called him out for that name recently, by the way. But, oh, really? Yeah. What percent chance would you give Steve Pierce of being on the Blue Jays opening day roster? Uh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking 85% chance i mean there's there's a lot that could happen with this outfield with alfred and hernandez and and uh carrera and everything else kind of i want pilar even being possible moving parts but i i think steve pierce has a role with this team because uh he hits lefties which there's not a lot of that going around at the moment i'm i'm gonna go higher i go 95 just because of what we were talking about there's so many free agents out there there's a lot of outfielders there's a lot of first base kind of corner power types i think if if somebody needs a player like steve pierce they can just go out and sign him and and probably sign a a better version of pierce and not have to give anything up to do it so i'm saying 95 i'm gonna go lower than you guys and similar to what you're saying there nick but i think anybody who's a better hitter than steve pierce this is going to cost you more than one year and from the jays perspective steve pierce is kind of superfluous on this roster yes he hits lefties but you know, as platoon, you could use Teoscar Hernandez in that role and save the $6.25 million and use it elsewhere on the roster. So I'm, I still think it's likely, I'm going to say 70, 75%, but I could see them moving him just to free up cash. All right. Next question is from Josh at Lou Brown 34. I've missed Lou Brown 34's questions just because uh, we mm-hmm. get to think about Major League for at least a brief fleeting moment. What are some moves the Jays could do to improve this season's outlook? I'm having a hard time getting overly excited with the current offseason. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> I think we sort of we sort of discussed this, really. I mean, you know, they, they, they could use another outfielder, for sure, whether that's in a trade for I don't know who, or Lorenzo Cain, or if it's Nick, it's one of the cargos. No, 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 it's, it's a fi- f- valid opinion. I, but anyway... They just need to get better players. I mean, there's a lot of options out there. We haven't if even you, talked about pitching. No, if you if you sign Lorenzo Kane and Tony Watson and call it an off season, I think a lot of us would go into the season uh, reasonably pretty excited about the the oh, Jays' yeah. chances. I'll yeah. leave it there. I'll pretend that I'm I'm uh, as ignorant as I really am. Um, next, <laughs> this is from Colleen Evans. Do you think the Marlins fire sale is done? Any pieces that would fit with the Blue Jays? 
This is a soft toss one, uh, Nick, if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in the same sense as he probably would fit with what? 29 other teams uh yeah chris christian yelich is obviously a, a really great player he's got a great contract and he's only 26 years old but that means every single team in baseball is probably calling Derek jeter to try to work out a deal for him and don't be surprised if he somehow ends up on the yankees he said bitterly uh, did we hear? Did you guys read the tweet that their the, his relationship with the Marlins is quote irreparably damaged unquote? Yeah, it was his agent who said that. That's not good. Um, so yeah, if there's anybody who's on the market, that that's the guy. Um, and well, I think it's we're talking about some of the other guys on the Marlins. Brad Ziegler specifically, I think, could be very useful to the Blue Jays. He's a very good relief pitcher. But he costs a decent amount of money, and I think the Marlins will want to move him, but they'd probably have to eat some of it. Fair enough. Uh, Andy, at underscore rallycap, asks, no, seriously, what's the deal with people eating Tide Pods? (laughs) (laughs) Josh? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're low. They're low carb. That's that's why everyone's eating them. Everyone made their their New Year's resolution. Are they are they low carb? There's got to be like salts and stuff in there, right? <laughs> but, yeah, but man. salt salt is that's baking that's soda, good. baking powder for cleaning. But yeah, it's, <laughs> oh man, it's it's ridiculous. I don't know how that became a thing. People are really dumb. This is the turf pod. It is not the tide pod. I do not have an answer for you. <laughs> it's, there's no relation. Nothing. It's. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't even, I, I think the publicity has made it worse, frankly. Um, so we're giving it yeah. more. Well, why did I do that? Okay. Hit me up with our, our next question then. Okay. This is from Luke J bats forever. Who leads the Jays in singles, doubles, triples, dinkers, respectively at the end of the season. Wow. That's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I take triples? <laughs> sure. Curtis Granderson. <laughs> <laughs> we had three last year, I think. One year he hit twenty plus. Wow, that, this that year was not last year. <laughs> yeah, that was ten years ago. But uh, yeah, I think that's still a good bet. Uh, right. I'll take I'll take singles and I'll go Devin Travis. Ooh, wow! That's, that's going to require a lot of playing time. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, I'll be take the easy one then. Home runs, Josh Donaldson. <laughs> Okay. Um doubles. Ooh, Ooh. Doubles. Uh I'm kind of thinking Josh Donaldson also. Is that is that bad? <laughs> uh, that's that's the the safe money's on Donaldson. Pretty much. I mean, you could probably go with Donaldson for a lot of these. <laughs> probably for not hits, triples. It could be Kevin Pilar even just because he swings at everything. That's very true. Well, wouldn't hits be fun with for Anthony Alford? Wouldn't that be nice? You'd love that when you yeah. don't. <laughs> okay, last question. Minor leaguer at minor underscore leaguer. What's a fueling coordinator, and how do you feel about the Blue Jays' new hire? <laughs> this was announced. They announced their minor league staff, and under the high-performance Dunedin group was fueling coordinator Tony Castillo. I don't know what that is <laughs> because they haven't. So, it's like, I thought maybe it's just a weird term for. You know, giving people food and fuel, <laughs> but they have a head of nutrition already. So I don't know what this does. Do they get the team bus all set? <laughs> I 
really feel like that would not be something that you would have Tony Castillo doing, would you? It's, I don't think it's the pitcher, Tony Castillo. I think it's someone else. But we don't even know that. We have no idea. But I don't think uh, uh, someone filling the bus would be under the high performance department. <laughs> it's not that I kind have of no performance. Idea what this means. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, that's a weird one. Well, we'll get back to you on that once they tell us what it's all about. Which brings us to the topic of uh, everybody's favorite complaining segment where uh, we give someone a do-over. What did you say? Oh, my God. Did he really just say that? But we can try again, right? You talking about a do-over, baby? Are you talking about a do-over? Let's do this! All right. I'm going to give the first one to Josh, I think. Um, Let's talk about trading or maybe not trading or hearing about a trade of a certain certain pitcher who uh seemed to be forever in limbo oh yes garrett cole if you were paying attention about three weeks ago he was traded to the yankees cole for christmas that was the horrible pun that they were going to use exactly and then i mean it was done like half the camp was saying no not that serious the other half was saying it's done just finishing touches being put on the deal didn't happen two weeks later you'd think that same camp john morosi was in it <laughs> would learn from that mistake garrett cole the astros done finishing touches they're going to make announcements soon uh nope <laughs> it still took another five days before they finally came to an agreement this rush to be the first to break the news has gotten so insane that they're breaking news that isn't right it seems pointless, like totally pointless for the for the two or three minute difference that you're going to get or the 10 minute difference that you're going to get on a tweet. Like, are, is there some sort of bonus points handed out? Is there some kind of snack that they get if they're the first guy that we don't know about? That'd be actually kind of funny if they did. It's like, here's your hero cookie. <laughs> <laughs> you get one dog coin for, uh, <laughs> for reporting first. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, and it's not like you said. It's a it's it's a whole camp worth of people. It's not like one guy standing on a hill declaring it. It's it's sort of this group thing that tends to happen with these deals. And I mean, Cole was particularly egregious. But I mean, how many times has Jay Bruce been going somewhere? How many times have you been going to the Blue Jays? No, <laughs> oh, every time until he signs with the Mets. Every time, whacked. Um, so what's yeah. our do over for uh, the Twitterati? The do-over is to wait to make sure that a move is actually completed before announcing that it is completed. Even if you might be the second person to say that. Even if you might be the second. <laughs> Not too hard. Uh, did you want to talk about uh, Datus, Derek Jeter's latest plans, Nick, or did you want me to take this one? No, I can uh, I can take it. Uh, so my nominee for for the do over is uh, also on Twitter. I was noticing today that uh, Derek Jeter has mentioned wanting to remove the kind of uh, sculpture statue in center field at uh, the Marlins ballpark, the one where the the Marlin kind of comes out and jumps from one side to the other uh, when when someone hits a home run. And I'm thinking that. Derek Jeter needs to take a cue from the Blue Jays front office and know how to pick his battles 
And maybe I I know Derek Jeter's a real stylish guy, but maybe he just needs to let the fans have this one. Uh, he's taken away all their good players. That statue might be the only thing worth coming to the ballpark for in 2018. Just let them have their statue, Derek. Don't don't start talking about getting rid of the the Marlins fish statue. But they've got to sell it for scraps. They have no money. <laughs> what would you put? where the statue currently is that wouldn't make everyone just go and that's where the Marlins home run statue used to be for, before Derek <laughs> Jeter screwed it up you, I'm sure in Jeter's mind you, there can never be enough uh, statues of Derek Jeter exactly <laughs> just just go full heel and stick a big but just a photo <laughs> of himself so good. Yeah. <laughs> just turn into the skid just be like yep <laughs> it's, it's Jeterville in center no, I never played for your team, but you can all come to Jeterville. And then they make a Jeterville patch at shortstop to designate his range, and it's four feet by four feet. <laughs> one of the one of the good tweets about the Marlins statue was that Jeter wanted to get rid of it. I forget. I'm I'm apologizing to whoever tweeted it because I I forget who did it. But they said Jeter didn't like the statue because the the fish had more range than him. <sighs> Well, you know what you get with uh, Christian uh, Yelich as a as a free throw in, guaranteed. He comes with the statue. statue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I would trade everybody for him now. <laughs> oh, that the WestJet flight deck would look really weird with <laughs> with the sculpture <laughs> up on it. Oh my goodness. So yeah, Derek, please just slow down. You, you there's there's very little out there. Uh, that the people are going to come to the ballpark to see, and you're talking about getting rid of it. That's not where we want to go. Our final point this evening, uh, in terms of official business, is uh, we're going to hand out a gold star. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Indeed. Pressing pause doesn't always work, does it? Josh, we're going to actually hand out a gold star to our local Toronto affiliate team, the Blue Jays, aren't we? We are. The Blue Jays announced, I believe this was on Tuesday, no, Monday, the end of the Monday, they're extending the protective netting at the stadium. Yay! Uh, they're ext- yeah, yay! <laughs> they're extending it to the edge of the dugouts, the outfield edge on both sides, and for me, the biggest thing they can do, they're raising the net behind the plate. I've been saying this since I've been going to baseball games as a kid. That thing was crazy low. The number of screamers that go into the back rows of the 100 level. I can't believe no one's died. <laughs> so we, they get a gold star for avoiding uh, unintentional manslaughter of, of, a, of a, a spectator at some point. Um, I'm 100% in favor of this. Uh, the expanding of the netting. Because honestly... A little bit of netting is, is not going to ruin ruin a ball game. I'm curious, though, Nick, actually, do you think that this is more about people on their smartphones or is it more about um, just in general safety has been something that's been kind of lax over the years? Yeah, I'm I'm with Josh. I, I'm surprised nobody has died at, at the Rogers Center slash Skydome. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm also with you, Greg, in that I never notice it, like, you know, most of the time I'm sitting in the in a section where there's n- no netting, like in the outfield or something. But when you do sit somewhere where there's netting, it literally doesn't take away from from the experience at all. So uh, I I think it's it's long overdue. And I'm and I'm gonna say it's it's neither. It's not about uh, safety or 
people on their smartphones. It's about Blue Jays fans getting drunker than they uh, than they used to. And, ah, so and so they're from jumping that. over the dugouts onto the field. Exactly. <laughs> the netting is actually going the opposite direction. We didn't, you know, once yeah. it keeps keeps something in, also keeps something out. Yeah, it's yeah. protective for the players. That's what it's protective for. That was not expected. That's uh, you've turned the whole thing on its head now, and I'm not sure I'm in favor of it anymore. Oh, well, gentlemen, uh, this would mean that uh, I get to turn it over to each of you. If you, Josh, have a final thought, please present it to me. I do. First, I mean, in general, it's very nice that they've actually made some moves because, my God, this was the worst offseason. But in, but in general, I think that it's time, as I said, the foundations have been laid. The next move is really going to tell us where they're headed with this team. We don't. We still don't have an idea what their actual plan is, and I think the next one will finally give us an idea. Do you have a final thought, Nick? Yeah. Uh, now that the calendar's kind of turned to uh, January in 2018, uh, baseball feels like it's right around the corner. I know that's not exactly true, but uh, it's uh, it's starting to feel that way. And you know, with every passing week, we're subjugated to have to listen to people talk about one less football game which is another good thing so i'm i'm getting excited for the season uh you know regardless of whether or they do go get kane or it's just you know gerard dyson or something like that i'm i'm getting excited for baseball again and hopefully everyone else is too i for my part would like to direct your attention to uh ben badler who had a podcast out today who um, described Vladimir Guerrero, the number one overall international prospect as a 16-year-old, as underrated and improving. Um, there is a 1 minute and 51 second clip from his podcast um, that's available on Twitter. I will try and get Josh to link to it. Um, it is, uh, for all you prospect lovers there out there, it will make you salivate. And just as a little add-on to that, he also said that Bo Bichette was a top five overall prospect in baseball to him. Surreal. So, on that note, which is about as the highest note I finished a podcast on in a long time, I would say that uh, you were Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka, and I was Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 85. And we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you.